episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? What's up, man? It's been three weeks. Uh, people thought we shut this whole thing down uh, in the middle of the night, like the Cleveland Browns in 1995 moving to Baltimore without telling anyone. People were like, is Thick and Thin still an active podcast? I was like, at this point, it's unclear. But we're, we're finally, we're forced back into the studio right in time for our favorite time of the year, NBA trade deadline, NBA All-Star game. So good to be back. It's It's been too long in the middle of the season. We have to be back after all the fan mail, the calls, just the people reaching out to us wondering what. No, didn't really happen that way. uh, That they put up (laughs) the billboard TNT (laughs) missing thick and thin on milk cartons. Fandle introduced a risk risk free parlay, the TNT same game parlay on our behalf. (laughs) You know what? You know what it is, man. The Kings have been doing so well. I don't need anything else in my life. It's just filled this void. I used to fill that void with podcasts and all these other things. Now that I finally have a good team on my side, it's, it's just Mark, else Mark Jones's sweet voice is all yeah. you need, really, on a exactly. nightly basis. That's all I need. But it's good to be back. And, and this is a good time, too, because this is one of the most exciting times. Like you said, the trade machine gets ramped up. You've got All-Star game coming up. Uh, things are starting to settle. Actually, not really this year, seating-wise, but... You're starting to see some interesting trends, so it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, uh, you know, this is the time now. Every game, every team is well over that 41-game mark, close to 50, and, and uh, past that as well. And so teams know who they are. Like, it's still – you still have the Utahs and the Indianas kind of hanging around, and Oklahoma City even. But for the most part, where you were supposed to be – uh, at the start of the year versus where you are now, there's a lot of teams kind of moving back to sort of what we initially thought for them. Take a team like Orlando, you know, who started off hot. Now they started to pile, put together some losses or even like Philadelphia, who was middling, you know, through 20 games, had a bunch of injuries. And now they've come out guns blazing and are rocking up the, you know, the standings to take over number two in the East. So I think things are starting to normalize and the last 30 games are about fortifying your lineups and really getting healthy for the stretch run, which I think a lot of contenders could use uh, a dose of that uh, as we move forward. Yeah, the health is a big thing, and we're seeing, we talked about it, the load management, a lot of stars sitting out, a lot of players still coming back or still nursing injuries. So we we still haven't really gone into the full swing of things. Um, But post-All-Star break, that's usually when a lot of guys come back, everyone's got some time to rest, and then teams make that final push, so... We're getting there, and you know, the trade deadline coming up. What better way to start than with your team, the Washington Wizards, making some some news? Uh, you know, with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so the Lakers traded Kendrick Nunn and three second round picks for your boy Rui Hachimura for, on the Wizards. And it, I mean, the Lakers and Wizards. What they just did a deal two years ago, year and a half ago with with Westbrook. Now they're back at it. Um, but yeah, what, let's yeah. start there. What are your thoughts on the trade? I know you have some strong reactions, but on the trade itself, before we get into the Wizards, what would you give it? I think if you looked at and and let me let me jump in quickly by saying the the Lakers and Wizards dalliance started long before the Westbrook trade. In fact, we took on those extra contracts in the form of Mo Wagner and a couple other scrubs that allowed 
the Lakers to have the cap space to get Anthony Davis. Um, and true. so that's kind of where things started with Polinka and Shepard, who, you know, those two guys are such idiots. I honestly don't know what would happen in a conversation, like how they're trying to outsmart one another. It would be very interesting to watch. But the trade in a vacuum, I think, is like a B, right? It's something for a guy who is clearly not part of the team's long-term plans, was going to walk at the end of the season. He's a restricted free agent. The Wizards are backing up the Brinks truck for Kyle Kuzma, a.k.a. Larry Bird of D.C., so they're going to do everything they can to keep him, which means what? why is the reason to pay kind of a duplicative forward in a you know that 3-4 kind of scoring forward role? The long-term view is an F minus, 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 as it continues to be for the last 50 years of Wizards basketball. And really, if you should want to shrink it, it's, it's the last you know five years post-John Wall kind of Bradley Beal swan song. And ultimately, when you look at it, it's there's no vision. There's no plan. There's nothing that indicates that they're trying to either pick a lane, whether that's tank or go for it, whether that's going to the luxury tax, making smart moves to actually build a contender. They're perfectly happy with 36 to 41 wins and hoping one random season, some injury happens or some stroke of luck pops off and suddenly they get to 45. Like that's kind of the, the luck would bring us to being an average NBA playoff team. So at the end of the day, this was the first of Tommy Shepard's uh, now four straight first round picks that all look like they're subpar or more in some case in Johnny Davis's case playing for Shanghai Sharks in about 18 months. Um, and with Rui, it's it's kind of an admission that this didn't work, just like a lot of other similar uh, players are going to be moved in Washington and other cities. And he was the ninth pick. You know, Tyler Hero went 13th. It's more what ifs, man. That's all we can say. And another promising or potentially promising career is just gone in D.C. We'll see what happens for him in L.A. The what-ifs continue to stack in D.C. Um, I I just think, look, when you're looking at the trade, at the end of the day, it's an expiring deal. He hasn't improved in the last four years. He's stagnated as a player. So how much value does he really have? Uh, a decent shooting, not good defensively. His three-point numbers have, after a really good season last year have plummeted. That being said, he's still a young player, and, and there's always a team that believes in the change of scenery. Dallas was interested. Sacramento was interested, uh, reportedly. Uh, and so I thought Kendrick Nunn, I, it's a salary match at that point, but you could have gotten a piece that's a little little more useful. I know Nunn yeah. had a good game um, for you guys right off the bat, but like a Terrence Davis from the Kings, or if you're going to try to actually be competitive, why not get a piece that might actually help you this year? Outside of that, though, I don't have any strong opinions on this trade. It's just the repeated draft failures are stacking up, and this is something the Kings went through. This is something the teams, you can't afford to just blow pick after pick after pick, and it looks even worse because we know what happened after Rui. None of the picks, Kispert, um, Johnny Davis this year has looked bad. This is an organization that you guys have not drafted well. And, and granted, you're not draft, drafting in the top five, but you have to nail one of these, right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's not a high probability that you're going to get a top 10 pick and that guy is going to be a star. But when you have three of them in four years, you kind of expect one of those to convert, right? And the other, the other one that we didn't have in the lottery was number 15. So it wasn't exactly like the 28th pick like the Spurs dealt with for years and years in the 2000s. But as a Kings fan... What you'll appreciate about my frustration is 
each individual move is just a band-aid to fix the prior move. And so if you look at it in that vacuum, yeah, you can justify everything, right? Tommy Shepard, used car, sale, used car salesman that he is, went out there and was like, well, we need to trade Rui to clear more playing time for Denny. It's like, really? Because Denny plays a lot and he doesn't shoot that much because he can't. And he's a decent defender and that's about what he is. So really we needed to sort of create the, you know, remove the log jam. Like you got, you know, Anthony Edwards behind on the bench and he's just waiting to get his shots up. Like, what are we talking about? Right. Um, it's not like this is a high usage player. He's, his usage is pretty much the same with or without Rui. But for some reason, and I'm not comparing Rui to to, to DeMarcus Cousins, but I was thinking about it because I knew we were about to record. I was like, the Cousins trade in a vacuum was reasonable return for where he was and was a, a pending free agent. Are you talking about the Kings trade? To Kings to the Pelicans. It wasn't great return, but it was like, okay, we got healed. We got another first. And at that time, that was before teams were unloading picks for stars. So that's kind of before what we've seen now. You weren't in love with that package, but you could talk yourself into, okay, it was a time for a move and just get resets this a little bit. But it's representative of a larger organizational failure that doesn't get covered when you're talking about giving draft grades, right? And ultimately, all the Wizards have done is be a failure of an organization. They are... Without a doubt, I would say, aside from Charlotte, and I'm curious for your thoughts here, is any team in the whole league have a bleaker future over the next five years than the Wizards? No. And I'm one of the people And even who Charlotte has LaMelo. I'm one of the people who's always thought that that um, – I'm blanking out the name. What do they call that uh, dead zone in the middle or what is the – purgatory? Oh, just like no purgatory. man's kind of – yeah, no man's land. Yeah. I always thought that that's an overrated concept. Like people act like that's the worst thing to be in. It's not always, but the Wizards have redefined what it means to be in purgatory. At least um, because this is a team that, on paper, it's unfathomable to even imagine them winning a first round series, let alone get out of the play in. And at the same time, there's not a single piece on that roster that gives you any hope for the future. And you're also saddled with bad contracts. It's not even like you have cap flexibility and you're only going to dig yourself deeper when you give Kuzma a big contract. And we know Kuzma, as good as he's been, probably not going to be worth that money in the first couple of years of the deal. So it's every box that you need to check off on a mismanaged franchise. You're in purgatory. You don't have young talent to bet on. You're saddled with bad contracts. And you have a pattern of just like repeatedly bad decisions over the last five years and your owner's too cheap and the team is too cheap to do something about it. And your fan base is so apathetic that they can continue to get away with it. So I think we add up all of that <laughs> by far the worst position any franchise is in. It is really an apathetic fan base. Like if you, like a lot of people like in the NFL, they make fun of the chargers, right? That's probably the team or the Jags or something like that. They have like the worst or least number of fans. I don't take those kind of jokes of people because I see what the Wizards fan base is. And I would say DC, for the most part, is getting better at some of the other teams. And the rest, I mean, the commanders have always had, a, obviously, a historic fan base. But the Wizards, literally nobody cares. Like, it's me. It's, like, 11 other dudes on Twitter and, like, my dad. That's the <laughs> list, right? Like, those are the only people who are actually paying attention to this thing. And, yeah, I mean, we have – it really checks all the boxes because not only that, like, you think about – Beal, who is 
we can agree, and we agreed last season. It wasn't like this is news to us. He's a two, but most likely a three on a really good team. So what do you do when you have a guy that projects as a third option on a contender? Well, why not just give him the second most guaranteed dollars in NBA history <laughs> behind two-time MVP Nikola Jokic? So he's in year one of a $250 million deal. And I was talking to some buddies about it today. I was like, he's actually playing well within the context of being like a good player who would be a nice complimentary fit to your team stars, not the actual franchise player on a Supermax. So it's concerning. They're already talking about giving Kuzma north of $30 million a year over four years this offseason. So the owner's paying there, (laughs) but then they're being cheap by getting rid of everybody else because he doesn't want to pay the luxury tax and he never has. So we're in approaching a disaster zone. It's going to be, don't, don't, underestimate the likelihood of them rolling out Kendrick Nunn is now part of the new big four in DC. Like that's a non-zero chance of that. He's going to be on billboards. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, Kuzma, by the way, is only the team's best player and like their most famous. It's amazing to me how he's just like taken that team with stranglehold. Um, At least he gives a shit. I mean, contract year or not, at least he's playing with some level of pulse. So, you know, I would say before we pivot over to the view from the Lakers side, I would just say that, like, again, probably the right move for a guy who wasn't going to sign. Yes, I agree with you that we could have probably gotten a little bit more out of it if we just waited a week or two. There was no reason to make that move, like, right now. But uh, I can't look at this without looking at the big picture of everything that's happened under Shepard. And all I've seen is a treadmill of mediocrity that used to go from round one playoff exits to now like almost making the plan. So it's somehow gotten more depressing than what we originally had considered purgatory, which was the eight seed. I would love the eight seed right now. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe they did Rui a solid by pairing him up with Westbrook again, because he played really well with Westbrook last year or the Wizards year West, dude. Huh? Wizards West. It is the Wizards West. Thomas Bryant. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. Troy Brown Jr. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you know, on the Lakers side, I I think it's it's a great deal. It's a great deal, like because I, I think it's become clear they're not willing to part with those picks unless they're going to get someone really good. And at this point, you need to get fringe players who can at least lift the ceiling of your team and Rui for all his faults is a young player and a new change of scenery and playing with LeBron can maybe tap into his skill set a little bit better. And the only cost is three second rounders, which they don't care about. And Kendrick Nunn, which is a salary match. So I actually love the deal for LA. I don't think it changes much, but it's at least a, you're taking a shot at something that might give you more upside. And at that, at this point, that's all they can do given the limited moves they have available. Totally agree. I mean, I thought this was a no-brainer. Like, Rui is kind of like, think of like a Marcus Morris light, right? Can shoot, can post up, can occasionally defend if he's interested, but doesn't really play make, doesn't really rebound, is not going to be kind of like a tone setter defensively, or, or but he can get you 15, right? Or he can get you 20. So as a complimentary wing to LeBron and AD for free, essentially, right? Because none was not part of that rotation anymore. It's a great move. And to your point, it's this is actually a very creative way for them to add talent without having to mortgage those picks to go get like Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., right? Because I don't know that that's really going to change the nucleus and it's giving up pretty valuable assets. I don't think they would have an issue trading those picks if there was a star out there, even to the level of like a Zach Levine, who's like somewhat of damaged goods on a big deal. 
if you gave them a Zach Levine or Bradley Beal, I'm sure they would send those picks in a heartbeat, right? Because people are talking about the flexibility that the picks give them. But as long as you don't get a guy that's on an expiring deal, what's the problem with acquiring someone with that rust deal? Because that's the only way of going to add, being able to add like a max slot player. But there's not that current star out there that's worth it. And so these are the kinds of things they're going to have to do around the fringes. I feel like Levine would still command a market. I, I think some team could outbid. I agree. I, the, what, I they'd, think it'd be Russ and the yeah. two picks. I think that's selling low on Levine, yeah. honestly. If yeah. you're if you're Chicago, right? Absolutely. I mean, that is a, a, a that's more of an attempt to just keep your own first round pick by having it land in the top four than it is getting fair market value for Levine. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so I mean, back to the Wizards, right? Before we leave them, uh, look, they're on a four game win streak. Um, you know, they, they had don't a big win against me. Dallas. We're approaching recently. 11th. Huh? I said, don't remind me, we're approaching 11th. But this is a team that can still, you know, make a run, make the play-in. Uh, what, what do you think is the best case outcome for this team this year, seeding-wise? Do you think they can climb into that 7-8 spot? Are they destined to be the fringes of the play-in? Well, I mean, if you look at who's ahead of them, Indiana's been an absolute tailspin since Halliburton got hurt, right? I think they're one and eight, and that shows you just how valuable he is. So depending on when he comes back, like that's a team that could clearly be overtaken. And then you're talking about teams you don't really trust a ton, like Atlanta and the Knicks. You can't go higher than seven because Miami is starting to pick it up, and then the top five are the class of the East, right? So but at the same time, look, Chicago's the tide with Washington. Toronto's a half game back, so it's not exactly like they have cushion on one end or the other. If you had to ask me to pick right now, I think it's very likely they finish either 11 or 10. So flip a coin and maybe they get one playing game and they got to go play Chicago or they got to go. If they're in Chicago, I'm actually going to go to that game for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. If, if uh, you know they go play Indiana or something like that, and maybe they win, maybe they don't. The, the path to the playoffs is just it's bleak, it's long, and once you get there, you get to, to be the sacrificial lamb of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which doesn't sound that fun. So I don't know, but I think Ted considers that success. Ted Leonsis considers that a success. So uh, I, I'm predicting 11th. I think they're going to just miss out. See, look, I get it if you get into the playoffs as an eight seed. It's um, two games revenue, four games you're on TV at the very least. What does one play-in game do for you? Like that's why I don't understand with some of these franchises. Yeah, I believe in the play-in. I think teams should try to aspire for the play-in. But when you're in a situation like the Wizards, that one, you know, you're not lasting more than one max two games. So at that point, like, why are you maximizing for what playoff ticket revenue? You're probably on the road too. So yeah, it's almost as if they think that it's somehow like the owners have been sort of like hoodwinked into believing the plan is the playoffs like somebody must have miscommunicated that at some point because they do go for it as if it is a playoff spot like you remember how hyped san antonio got last year because the lakers fell off and suddenly they were number 10 and they got to go play new orleans they got absolutely shellacked Dejounte murray turned it over like a hundred times and it was that game basically might have never might as well have never happened and taken place right so spurs still got to get picking the lottery so i think the whole thing there's a misconception but it is cool that it exists because it's not. It's it's certainly limited the amount of tanking, which is what we wanted, right? So we can't also make fun of them for being yeah. uh, excited about the play and whoever it might be. That's true. 
I mean, oh, man. look I'll... at the rosters this year. Like, how many teams are truly, truly tanking? It's really like four teams. And this is what we've always, or at least I've always said, I think you've agreed, what's been good about the play. And even in the Victor, I mean, things will change towards the end of the season. But, like, if teams really want to go after Wemby, they should be starting it much earlier. But everyone's gunning for that last, you know, 9-10 playing spot. Even in the West, OKC's not going away. Portland's not going away. LA's not going away. They're all within a game from 10th seed. So. Right. And, and the Lakers are, are buyers. Portland just came out and said they want to add to the, to the team. The wizards, I don't think are going to necessarily be sellers. I think they made this move for a particular reason. Toronto has shown no indication of selling their guys. So a lot of these play teams, maybe they shut guys down, but for injury, those last 10, 15 games to try to jockey a little bit. But if you're getting basically 80% of the season, 26 out of 30 teams are trying to win. That's pretty good for how uh, how the NBA is, is is incentivizing against losing. And so yep. I think that's a good sign. And we'll see what happens with this midseason tournament, right? Like I'm sure there's going to be implications there too to, to, to make sure teams are avoiding that, uh, just lose it all for, for the number one pick. Yep, yep. So we'll so, see. Um, okay, great. So let's transition uh, to – NBA all thank you for giving me 20 minutes on the Wizards by the way that is just really kind of you and it wasn't about a good topic it was mostly about them being a dumpster fire so hey, look, it was therapeutic for me sometimes you need it I'm, I'm yeah, your therapist you man I'm right here ready to listen you can vent you want you want a minute or two on Sacramento now firmly in the three seed with New Orleans kind of tail spinning out a little bit yeah why not why don't I just rub it in your face after we talked about how shitty the Wizards are um no, I mean, I think, dude, the the Kings, very flawed. Um, I think the big question for a lot of people is, look, this team's a three seed right now. They're riding high. Everything's clicking. Do you make a move at the trade deadline to potentially push yourself into more of a contention spot? Because I think everyone would agree they'd be a first-round underdog, even as a three seed if the playoffs started uh, anytime yeah. soon. I think, you know, so so the big question right now that Kings fans are kind of facing is what do we do? Do we make a move? Do we not? I personally think we we ride this out. It's a season of good vibes. It's a season of great chemistry. Um, we don't know what we have. I think we need to get to the playoffs, really see what our weaknesses are. We know it's interior rim protection, but who can you depend on? Who are the guys who can actually last in a playoff series? And, and based on the learnings this offseason or postseason, then we make the the needed changes during the offseason. So to me, I think they hopefully will sit still, maybe make a move on the fringes going after Plumlee or some, you know, backup center. But uh otherwise it's been a it's been a good ride, man. Um they they are a very streaky team. I went to the game against Philly actually last Saturday. They were up nineteen. Oh, you did. That's and that's a tough that one. Was, to <laughs> that was a, a Philly team without Harden, without Embiid. And then they blew that lead. And then they went into Memphis um, and no job, but that went from a one-point Memphis lead in the third quarter to a 33 blowout win for the Kings. So they're very up and down and a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but uh, it's fun to watch, man. And and we'll talk about them when we talk about these all-star teams because they should be represented well. Well, it's it's interesting because like I'm just looking at the standings and there's so little gap between basically call it four and thirteen, 
right? The Lakers are literally three games behind the Pelicans, um, 13 to four. So there's no point even looking at who Sacramento's playoff opponent would be. But look, 47 games into the season, you have to feel pretty comfortable about the likelihood of them staying in the top six. Now, a five-game losing streak and some other team gets hot, like this could get ugly quickly. But I still like their chances because even after the hot start, they had a little bit of a dip in there in the middle. And I think what's been encouraging is they came back and started playing good basketball again. So, And they play every night. So you're going to win so many games with resting stars. That being said, Sixers didn't have uh, Harden or Embiid. But nonetheless, I do think that adding somebody – it, it makes sense. Like, I don't think I would include Murray in any deals. I don't think I would include a ton of picks in any deals. I wouldn't include it's Barnes. Be fringe. Yeah, I mean, Barnes is playing a lot better. He's starting to make shots again, and he is the veteran leader in that team, so you can't underestimate that's importance. Like, the guy, when you're talking about backup center, I was thinking Jakob Pertl. He's probably too expensive He's because you're expensive. not going to play and you're not going to play him much, right? Because Sabonis is going to be logging 35 to 38 minutes a game in the postseason. So, yeah, you're really just looking at anybody like a Plumlee who can fill some fill some minutes. Um, and then I do think they need one more wing because you have Herder, who we know is a playoff-proven guy. But then you have Monk, who on his best days looks like, you know, Jordan Clarkson on steroids, but on his worst days, you're like, you can't play this guy because he doesn't play defense and his shot is so streaky. Then you talk about Keegan Murray, who's playing well, but it's still a rookie. We don't know what game 92 is going to do to him, right? Like just physically. Um, and then you have Barnes, who is playing well, but, you know, he's now been legal 11 years. We, he could show signs of wear and tear. And like in general, he's been healthy, but I think one more wing that gives him just a little bit of depth, especially like, most more so a three than a two, I think would be helpful. There's a heavy Maybe reliance that's a Jake on Crowder. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There's a heavy reliance on Trey Lyles right now, who's been amazing for us, but it also yeah. worries me because we know Trey Lyles has been around. It's not like, you know, uh, exactly. And he's, you know, it's kind of like the Sixers counting on uh, George's Niang. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he's he's a good it player. Looks but... <laughs> fine. Yeah, it looks fine right now. But then you're like, okay, well, Game Seven in Boston, like George's Niang is being given wide open threes all night. Do I feel good about that opportunity? So yeah, but but overall, man, can't complain. Um, it's the best we've ever done. I think um, that probably the happiest fan base in the league right now, given circumstances, expectations. So just going to enjoy the rest of it. Well, it's fun because you get to watch a team that's also just objectively really fun to watch. I mean, they're first in the league in offensive rating. So it's one thing if you were like, if you were the the Knicks from two years ago with Tibbs, well, that was a lot of fun, but they were slogging through victories. And it was kind of just like, this is hard to watch Julius Randle go isolation 25 times a game, but we're winning. So I'll take it. This is so much more free-flowing. It's energizing. They're shooting. They're passing. They're cutting. Like, I think it's just a fun brand of basketball. So, I, you know, I if you told me in 2000 and uh, I guess was it 2005 or six when Mike Brown Cavs teams were, like, playing games in the 70s, they would, he would one day have the number one <laughs> offense in the league, I promise you I would not believe that was yeah. the NBA. Averaging 120 a game. Yeah. Yeah. So – all right, 
Let's move to the all-star team. So the starters were announced tonight. The reserves are going to be announced next week. Um, We're going to go ahead and pick our full 12-man rosters, including resetting the starters however we'd like. But as a recap, in the East, in the backcourt, it was Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell. Frontcourt, it was Kevin Durant. Um, We'll see if he plays. uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's the captain, and um, Jason Tatum. In the West, it's going to be LeBron as the captain for like the 89th straight year. And I think every year that they've done the captains, he's been one of them. Um, It's Nikola Jokic, it's Zion Williamson, and then in the backcourt, Luka Doncic and Steph Curry. So as you know, these are not East versus West. They're going to draft them. The interesting wrinkle is they're actually going to draft them right before the game, which is going to be like playground style. That's going to be amazing to watch. I hope there's some good entertainment out of it, but um, I'm pumped for that. What about you? I love it. I love it because now you have to do it in front of the. I'm assuming the players will all be standing there. It's they literally be. pickup style. Um, you know, do you remember like elementary school where it's just uh, you'd be literally just picking from people in the crowd, and this one kid left over. I mean, and I was just interesting. punching kids in the gut, just pushing them to the lockers <laughs> and stuff, being like, "You'll never get picked." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I I think it'll be great. You know, we you take last year as an example, what Harden went like last. Or he maybe went not last, last, and Durant or something. Durant was doing a lot of weird facial expressions yeah. and just so like, we're like trying to do that in front of those guys will be very interesting. So I like it. We we talked about this a little bit. The jersey situation that makes that more confusing because do they have these? Are they just going to like press the names on at the last second? Or do they think, make jerseys? They make, yeah, they can just make both jerseys and send the rest to like an impoverished country, like they do with all the that's true national championship merchandise that nobody, yeah, you know, the team that loses. That's true. That's probably what they'll do. But yeah, I'm, I think it'll be great. Do well, you want to start? Yeah. So I think the, the, the other thing I was going to say is like, you know, we don't have any Andrew Wiggins this year. We don't have any kind of like one-off. These 10 names are 10 fucking superstars. Uh, we could probably argue about who really deserves these spots, but as far as like you want the biggest and brightest on the stage, like I don't know that you could pick a better 10 uh, than this crew right here. So I'm just, I'm happy that it all came together for the exact, you know, the best and the best versions of All-Stars too, right? Like, SGA is having a better season just given how much he's played than maybe Curry, but you want Curry in the All-Star game for exactly. every reason that you can think of. So, and, and, and maybe I don't want to step on the toes. I was going to say one more thing, but I'm sure you would agree with me with where I was headed with that comment. So all right, let's, let's dive right, into let, it. All right, let's start in the East. We're going to go uh, locks first. So how many locks did you have? I have seven. Okay. Seven. And before we get, get into that, as a reminder, you have to have two front court, two backcourt, three front court in your starting lineup. The bench has to be two backcourt, three front court, and two wild cards. So you can't have like six guards on your bench. It has to have three forwards, which is what makes this a little complicated because certain players only have eligibility at certain positions. So I had six locks. I'll start because I assume all of mine are included in yours. I got KD, Embiid. Tatum, Mitchell, Jalen Brown, and Giannis were my six locks. You with me? Tatum and B. Mitchell. Don Mitchell, yeah. What were the last ones? 
KD, Embiid, Tatum, Mitchell, Brown, Giannis. Okay, yeah. I got all those. Now, let me ask you this. Would your starters be amongst those six players, or did you have a seventh? Your seventh lock, was he in consideration no, for starting? No, my spot? starters were among those. Okay, so who did you not start? Because those are six players. I did not start Giannis. Okay, me too. Yeah. What was the what was your reason there? I think it this was hard. I think on paper I wanted Giannis, so then I had to look at the numbers and you know, last couple of years Giannis has gotten the benefit of the doubt with all these advanced stats and and um, efficiency and all that stuff. This year, he's actually behind. When you compare him to Embiid, Tatum, and KD. He's behind in many of the advanced stats, uh, real plus minus, estimated plus minus, Raptor, and and he's a lot uh, of rankings below some of these guys. So, and, and also look some of the stats of, of the Bucks offense, like this year when Holiday's off the floor, they've been the worst offense in the NBA, and it is just like it is pulling your teeth to watch them play offense. And I think some of these other guys, Embiid, when he's missing his counterparts, Tatum. All these guys have shown an ability to still carry the offense this year. And I think just Giannis has struggled a little bit more without the help of Middleton, without the help of Holiday. Understandably, but I think that just knocks him down a peg. He hasn't had as mind-blowing of a season as he's had in the past, even though his scoring is actually up. So that's why I had him on my bench. Yeah, it's interesting. Like His very raw numbers are are obviously still like legendary, right? 31 and 12. Uh, but then you look at it, it's like over four turnovers a game. He's shooting, you know, he's just cratering from three, uh, just 25% from three, 65% from the line. So he gets great numbers. But when you're talking about this bonafide rare air, I just think he's had a worse season than the other three guys. Like that doesn't, that's not even to mention like games played. He's been hurt a little bit recently with that knee injury, but you know, aside from Embiid, they're all kind of in, in, in like a good enough spot there. So, yeah, I went with that. They're 23rd in offense right now, which is which is pretty surprising, like you mentioned. And KD drugged the terrible nets through Kyrie's suspension, some other situations. You know, like you said, Embiid played with that Harden. Only Boston has really had that any type of continuity all season. But Tatum, I think, has to be in that starting lineup because he's been basically good every night. So, I agree. Um and then Mitchell and Jalen Brown in your backcourt. I have no. That's why I, I have, asked you if your starters. Oh, sorry. I, no, no, no. I, I actually read it wrong. So Brown, Jalen Brown's my lock, but he's not okay. my starter. My okay, starter. So who did you? Yeah. Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. Fair. Now, now here's the argument. Let me start the argument against Halliburton. Yes, he's been injured a little bit recently. The Pacers have tailed off, right? So they're not the kind of four or five seed that they were for much of the season. But the argument for him is really his minimal usage. Given his minimal usage, he's been so effective. He's a top in assist yeah. rate. His assist to usage percentage is just the top of the league, I think 100 percentile. And he only plays 33 minutes a game. And those 33 minutes when you watch the Pacers games are just so impactful. And the fact that that team is even sniffing the playoffs, I think is a testament to how good he's been. And I've been a little sour on Halliburton the whole year because all I heard was, oh, look, how do the Kings pass on him? How do the Kings pass on him? But at the same time, 
I think he gets the nod over Jalen Brown simply because Jalen Brown has been good as always, and it's kind of doing the same thing he was last year. But Halliburton is now talked about as a piece you build around as like this um, really uh, integral part to to their offense. And so I I think I wanted to give him a nod to that, and so I put him in my starter role. I find it interesting to your point, the usage when it's that low, I mean, he's such an unselfish player. Usually that means a guy who wouldn't have a lot of assists because he's got hockey assists. He's moving the ball. The fact that he's somehow able to gobble up these assists while, you know, being so, you know, pass friendly and being so, uh, so much uh, not a ball stopper makes you wonder if he ever ran a Harden like offense or a Trey like offense, he'd get like 14 assists a game. Honestly, uh, his vision is unbelievable. His shooting has always been great. I think people find the shot form so unorthodox. They almost think he's a bad shooter. And he's pretty much 40% from his career. He's, again, flirting with 50, 40, 90. And, and if anything, the swoon for the for the Pacers should be a benefit to him making the All-Star team because it's all come with him yep. injured. They were 23 and 18, like I said, when he got hurt. Now they're 24 and 26. So... It's almost like strength in his MVP case, much less his all-star starter case. So I have no problem at all with with Halliburton starting. He is my first guy in that next tier, but approaching approaching lock status. So so we have the same top seven, call it, right? Because Halliburton was my first guy next up. Who, so who and Jalen Brown starting was, uh, at the forward position? I had uh, Giannis to the bench as well. Okay. Anything to so add for there was, for... I think the one thing I want Sorry. to highlight, Embiid, right? Yeah. Um, I think what I've really been impressed by Embiid this season is, and it's not even in the numbers, man. It's just he is now, you know, we always talk about Giannis being Shaq. Embiid this season has felt very Shaq-like to me. He's he's toned yeah. down the three-point shooting a bit. He's actually shot more frequently around the rim. His percentages at the rim are insane. Um, and... The dominance down low is has been just night to night a pleasure to watch, right? And of, yeah. of course, it's not a pleasure in the sense that he goes to the line a lot. It's a he's a whiny player. They're a whiny team, but I also wanted to. I think that he should be recognized this season. And this is a guy who's getting routinely snubbed from MVP and all of that. So for me, I think he deserves it over. Um, Giannis and and Durant also, although he's missed time and has been kind of consistent with what he was last year, the Nets have been playing so well when he's on the court that yeah, I think he deserved a nod in that starting lineup as well. And though he's going to miss a little bit more time, as of right now, he's played more games than Embiid or Giannis. So he had only missed one game to injury prior to this MCL sprain, but. To the point on Embiid, it's 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 like really the evolutionary Shaq because he took Shaq's dominance and maybe he wasn't quite there phys- physically, but 12 free throws a game shooting 86% from the line. That is, I mean, when you can do that with your big man, it's, you know, it's curtains when you're playing against him. Now, his issue has always been wearing down at the end of playoff games. The post moves don't work. The fouls don't get called. So the Sixers are a team you almost have to just put on ice because we have those same questions about Harden, but... I really feel for Embiid, man. It's like his whole career, he's basically a top five player who gets treated like this second fiddle yeah. because in the in the MVP race, he's going against Jokic, right? For all NBA, he's going it's against Jokic. Going now against all-star, it's like, 
yeah, all-star, it's like, okay, well, Giannis, Tatum, KD, and, like, again, he's not going to start. So you had Giannis and Jalen Brown off the bench. I have Giannis and Halliburton as my first. So we have the same first seven. I had three more guys in my likely category, which I considered kind of these were the first ins before I looked at those final cuts. Who are they? Bam Adebayo. Been an absolute killer this year. Julius Randle, who has rocketed up the boards for me, I would say, in the last month or so. He took apart the Celtics tonight in a really dominant fashion. I mean, he, he's been fun to watch. And Kyrie Irving, um, who will be the first player to make an all-star team, I think, after getting suspended by his team midseason for posting derogatory uh, content on social media. Nonetheless, he's played a lot, and he's played phenomenally uh, when he's been in. And those early games that the Nets were struggling, a lot of it was because he wasn't there. Since he got back, they've absolutely taken off, and I think a big part of of why they're they're now comfortably in the top of the Eastern Conference. Doesn't it feel like so long ago that he got? It really does. It feels like a different season. Yeah. Um, So I had Bam. I had Kyrie. I have a different third player. Um, I had James Harden. Now, Harden has missed some time. He's only played 31 games, but there's a lot of people on this list who've played in that rough ballpark, so I didn't knock him for that. I just think he's reinvent- not reinvented himself because we've seen this version of Harden last year. Um, but we talk about Halliburton being at the top of assist percentage. Right next to him is, is James Harden. And I think the way he's kind of masterfully controlled that offense and really you know, passed up a lot of the, the ISOs and the shots he used to take. And that Sixers team when Harden and Embiid were both healthy, were absolutely crushing teams. I thought that he deserved a nod uh, in this all-star game. So for me, I'll tell you who my, the next two were, but I think Bam Harden and Irving were pretty solidly in that likely tier for me. Harden was really, really tough uh, because he has only played 31 games, um, which would be the lowest of anyone in my in my team. I have him as my 12th man right now. So he is on my roster as one of those final two spots next to DeMar DeRozan. And I thought about this for a long, long time because – you have Jimmy Butler, who is probably the best of these guys, uh, and he's played more than Harden. He's played 34 games, so Harden's 31. You have Pascal Siakam, who's putting up, you know, Cavs, LeBron, like 27, 7, and 7s. Like, it's nothing in Toronto, but that team looked look listless. And you have Trey Young, who's 29 and 9 and kind of revitalized a little bit in the last few weeks. So, I just went to Rose, and I think what he's doing, his consistency, his efficiency, dragging a very thin Bulls team along with with an uneven Levine, an uneven Busevich. It's just incredible what he's doing, even at his at his age. I mean, this guy's thirty three now. You're splitting hairs. Ugh, this is so hard, but I, I went to Rosen, and there's other guys I didn't even mention that I'm sure you've thought about too. It's really hard. I went uh, Julius Randle. Um, in one of my last two wildcard spots. I just think, you know, the advanced stats actually really like him this year. He's bec- He's been such a good player. I think having Brunson there has really helped curb some yeah. of the bad habits um, that he had. 
And then I went completely out of the box. So I thought it, this spot was going to be Pascal Siakam. Instead, I gave it to Darius Garland. I, I love Darius Garland. And so. I know that's a little bit, you know, I mean, he's got Donovan Mitchell and both guards, but he's been such an impactful passer. Like his passing this season has been absolutely incredible. And even his scoring, I think he started off trying to figure out his role with next to Donovan Mitchell. The last couple weeks, he has been on a scoring tear. Um, I mean, when I say tear, like consistently mid-high 20-point games. So he's, he's upping that part of his game as well. I just think he's mm-hmm. such a balanced player. He's such a crucial part to their success. Mitchell will get all the, the love because he's the new addition. He had the 71-point game. But I just loved what Darius Garland has done this season. So I gave him the nod over Siakam, Jimmy Butler, and Trey Young were my next three sub, or snubs. My sense is that Jimmy Butler will make it because the coaches love him for good reason, right? He's like one of the best players in the NBA. When he's healthy, I think he's a top 15 guy still. Um, and his advanced stats this season are off the charts. Yep. If you like Harden, you have to ignore the the games played. So you have to like Butler too, just if you're if that's the only criteria in which Harden would have been knocked out. So the Butler versus Harden debate is interesting because I don't think in a playoff series – at this stage of their careers, for sure, I'm taking James Harden over Jimmy Butler. I'm going the other way, right? I'm getting Jimmy. So it's interesting that we both went Harden for this team, partly because of how productive he's been when he's on the floor, and partly because, you know, Miami was floundering for long parts of the season, and and I don't know that they are a team that deserves two stars at this point. That That's what the All-Star game should recognize. Jimmy Butler, on paper, was more trusted in the playoffs, is a better player than Harden at this point when you talk about the playoffs. But their output this season, as good as Butler's been, Miami's been up and down. So that's why, that's what made me pick Harden over him. And that's also why Siakam, I knocked a bit, even though he's been sensational. Uh, Toronto has just been so disappointing that a lot of that falls on Scotty Barnes and it falls on other parts of the team. But um, I took that into account, and that's why I ended up putting some of the more winning players ahead of them. So this is why this is so crazy, right? Because so your final team, if you if you I'm just kind of going last, you know, call it the last five, right? Because we had the same top seven. You went Bam, um, Kyrie, Harden, Randall, and Garland. Right? Yep. And I went those four, but instead of Garland, I went DeRozan. And I guess we both had Halliburton. So it was the same top eight. So really look at that top four. This is crazy, right? Because we have Pascal Siakam not in. Neither of us had him. We have Jimmy Butler not in. We just talked about him. We have Jalen Brunson, who you could argue is the catalyst of the the revitalization in New York. I, I really wanted Drew to put Hall- him on. Right. You had Drew Holiday, who's 20 and 8 and 5 and phenomenal defense. And like you said, when he sits, that offense craters uh, being thrust into this role. Neither of us said Trey Young, who's a twenty-eight and nine, and, and and the Hawks have sort of stabilized. Um, Dejounte Murray is a fringe candidate; he's still playing well. Kyle Kuzma, make fun of him all you want, but he's starting to put up some pretty monster numbers. Not that he would be an All-Star candidate, oh, but God. I think you're already talking yourself into Kyle Kuzma. I but see it. There is a crazy amount of talent just in the East right now, just individual performances wise. Um, there's going to be a, I mean, I think a couple of these guys are probably going to get up, end up getting hurt 
like they always do. So there'll be more that get into the game. But the first cuts are going to be like a lot of head scratchers, a lot of, I'm sure, very polite uh, debate on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never seen – and the East specifically because the West has traditionally been the more talent-laden conference. Yeah. Um, I mean, the West, East, the favorite, favorite example is always Jamal McGlure in like 2004 or five. Uh, on the Hornets making the Eastern Conference All Stars, averaging like ten and nine. So come and a long that way. That was when the sure. New Orleans Hornets were in the East. Sorry, New Orleans Hornets. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were in the East, right? Yeah, they're in the East. Yeah, until they added the Bobcats and then they moved them. Um, um. So if you had to ask me to guess, like I said, I think Butler makes it. I don't think Harden's going to make it because I think the game's played, and I would. I would say Kyrie was the other one that I wasn't sure. I feel like Siakam's going to get in. Um, Trey Young? No, the coaches hate him. You see Trey got voted 12th by players? I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are telling Those are telling rankings, right? Like, the players fuck around a little bit, but for stars, they put them up there. And I also thought it was interesting that Jason Tatum was number one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's like um, – he's – He's the prototype. Yeah, but I thought Durant that, would still get it as like the you know the OG who's still killing people. Yeah, you just have to remember how many young guys are in the league now. So probably Tatum. They start looking up to guys like Tatum now. Durant's old. Yeah. I'm also curious of how many uh, people actually fill out the ballot. Like you remember, yeah. Aaron Rodgers was like begging um, the players to vote on like the freaking CBA, which like dictates their entire existence in the league and, yeah, and like they, half the players didn't even bother to vote for it like yeah. for or against it so all right let's move out west like i mentioned starters that were actually announced are curry luca lebron Jokic, zion who's only played 29 games we'll get to him in a second in the west i had seven stone cold locks how about you Seven stone cold. I think ours are going to be the exact same. I don't think they're debatable, to be honest. If you don't have a lock that I have, you're wrong. I have it. Don't worry. <laughs> Steph, Luca, LeBron, Jokic, SGA, Ja, and Sabonis. I've got, oh, I've got Fox in one of those spots. As a lock? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. <laughs> I got the exact same. Okay, and then who would you start, I guess? It's like those are three front court players. So obviously, LeBron, Jokic, Sabonis are the three front courts we both yep. pick, so I assume mm-hmm. we both have them starting. Mm-hmm. There's four guards in our selection, so it's Luka and who for you? SGA. Yep, yeah, that's the right answer, I think. I, I, he's, just, I mean, he's been insane. Yeah, at this point, I used, I used to be an SGA, uh, let's call it skeptic. You know, good stats, bad team, all of that. I mean, this season has watching him. The advanced metrics all bear it. He's been better than Ja and Steph in win shares, efficiency rating, VORP, all these stats. Defenses, absolutely. You know, you talk about gravity for Steph. Defenses were absolutely tilting heavily in towards SGA sending doubles, um, shadowing him. Like, they're doing all kinds of things because no one else in OKC is a reliable scorer. And SGA is still putting up, you know, 30-point games. I just think he's evolved so much as a player. He still has a lot of room to grow, you know, his three-point shot, all that. 
And yet, yep. despite not having a reliable three-point shot, the fact that he's so efficient, um, it's it's amazing to watch. And the OKC, every year they do this, but this year especially, they're right in the thick of things. And um, they have a good shot at making the play-in. So I think he deserves the starting nod. And it also helps that Steph missed some time, right? So it becomes yeah. easier to kind of knock him down for my list. You remember we were talking, I think, several weeks ago about how the league, after its obsession with, like, just 3 and D and, and sort of drive and kick offense, pick spread, pick and roll, nothing else but that, had finally brought back a little bit of diversity in the way teams were trying to score, right? You had some more cutting and moving teams like the Kings and others. You had sort of like that, you know, whatever it is Denver does, it's like <laughs> the whole separate thing that they do. You had the, the Sixers who do a lot of pick and roll but do a lot of post-ups. SGA as a single player exemplifies that more than anything. This guy takes 2.83s per game, which is microscopic by today's standards. He doesn't even shoot them at a phenomenal clip, yet he gets 30 easy, right? It's easy for him. And there's something very mesmerizing about watching him because he's not super fast. He's obviously a good size, like he's 6'6", but he's not like bulky, right? This isn't like Luca with guys bouncing off of him. It's, 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 Amazing to watch. And if you just think about Oklahoma City, you got Giddy, who looks like an absolute star. Um, you know, not like a, you know, 25, 10, and 10 kind of guy, but, you know, the the, the perfect second fiddle to, yep. to what SGA brings. And those two and, like, whatever that's else they can add to that roster, it's going to be so much fun. And honestly, when Shea's on the court, they are like a playoff team. So even despite their record, they've consistently been good over the last few years when he's played. They just never let him play. They finally are now. And they're at the point where it's going to be very hard for them to get into the top three or four lottery-wise. So I'm hoping that they just kind of let him roll the whole year. Like, I wonder if he's going to be satisfied. Now he's going to get an all-star bid for sure. And then he's going to, you know, what? get shut down with 20 games left. I don't think that's going to sit well with him after year five. So I think he's finally going to play it out and see where this thing goes, but can't say enough about how good he's been. Yep. Absolutely. Let's talk about the other starter. Who's not one in real life, which is the Sabonis. He's been as good and actually better than advertised, I think, from from what you saw in Indy, which, by the way, he was two-time All-Star. So this isn't a guy who's new to this stage, but you always felt like it was, oh, he made it because of, and then it was some type of blank. This year, I think he just made it because he's kicking everyone's ass. Um, he's Jokic light. If you look at his numbers, they're almost like what Jokic was averaging a few years ago before he actually exploded. And... The big question with them was, would they break down defensively if he is their center? Now, while they're not good, I think he kill, he makes up for so much of that offensively that it still is a huge advantage to have him out there. And the the chemistry with him and Fox and him and Herder and Monk has been really fun to watch. Um, and he's finding them all over the court. Yeah, man, there's not much to say except he's been uh, he's the catalyst for that entire offense. All the numbers bear it. He plays the role Jokic plays for the Nuggets in that he's just an initiator, a creator. Everything flows off of him, flows through him. Uh, it is a completely – it's a joy to watch. And I think he's expanded his game since he was in Indiana. Uh, I never knew he had this in him. 
And I think a lot of people did it. And that's why the trade was so heavily criticized. Sabonis was seen as a relic. Like literally in the past offseason, he was seen as a guy who's, you know, plays around the post, not a good shooter. Like, why would you want a big man like that? Decent passer. But I think what he's really shown is that he is that mini Jokic in that really you can be the catalyst for an entire offense and you don't need the three-point shooting. Like, that isn't as valuable as being the gravity for everything that happens around you. So uh, I think it's well-deserved for him to be an all-star. I think if it wasn't for Zion's name recognition, Sabonis could have even earned in a starting spot with the fan vote. But yeah. Obviously, he's not big enough of a name. But if it wasn't for Zion, no one else on the list, I think, would have had. I think AD was AD would have been there probably. Yeah, obviously being in – yeah. And he's a better player than Sabonis when healthy. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like – with him and Zion, I think AD or Zion would have deserved it over Sabonis if they had played more games. Sabonis has been really good this year, and I think his availability has to be the tiebreaker against those two. Um, Okay. This is where it gets a little light. Right, because you have to pick three front court guys, and we. So I had three guys on my likely list. So that mid tier. So I cheated a little bit. Okay, I'm curious who you just sneakily moved forward because I don't think you're allowed to do that on these ballots. I mean, what does it matter, um, right? Because your wild card at the end of the day, like. Well, because they're listed on the ballot as one thing or the other. Like, Luca is not listed as a forward. For so, example. okay, I'll tell you who I had. I had Zion. Okay, um, me too. Now, he's the, f- actually, no, second fewest games on anyone out of this list. He has only had 29 games. I have Markinen. Yes. I think that has been, that's a no-brainer. And then I put Fox, even though he's a guard, and I would actually put three guards on your, on the bench. You can have up to four guards on the bench, so Fox can make it. You just have to have three guys of your last of your seven bench spots. Three of them have to be forwards. Oh yeah, so, yeah. You so I have, have that. I have that. I think he's just. I thought you said three of my second five have to be forwards. No, three of your okay. seven. So yeah, Zion, so Marketing, Marketing, Zion. You got to have one more. Zion, Marketing, one more guy. I had Marketing, Zion, and Dame in this category. Okay. Um, Portland's been sliding, but he's bringing it every night. I'm not saying I was swayed by his 60 ball on 29 shots the other night, but it certainly helped um, as I was making this list. But he's been great all year, and he's now one more guy in the league averaging over 30 points a game, which every other team has a guy like that, it seems. Um, Okay, fringe. Two guys. Who'd you have? I had AD. Okay. And I had Lillard. Let's get to AD because I had him as well and I didn't want to have him. I didn't want um, him either. That's why he's on my fringe. And I took Anthony Edwards. Over oh, Fox. come on. And I and I come looked at it like this. On. I think he's just a better player. And I know the Kings are third and the, the you know, the the um Timberwolves are floundering, but I think and I don't think this is going to happen for what it's worth. He's clawed them back to 500, so they're really only a few games behind the Kings. It's not like this it's chasm between the two teams. And without Cat all year, okay, pretty much, 
And with Gobert in and out of the lineup, he's been the one constant. I think the last two months he's really sort of solidified his play after a rough start. But I'm not going to get I'm not going to die on the Anthony Edwards All Star Hill. I really wanted Fox, and then I decided to to just go with my gut of one guy I wanted on my team. I went with Ant. Ant does not fall in my uh, wild card list. He does not fall on my snubs list. I look. You're you're enthralled by his whatever his last two weeks. He's been putting up some good numbers. I get it. Recent and the dunk he had on Utah wanted to last here, year. Here's here's my problem with Anthony Edwards. Right, look at his stats on the season. Forget about his last three weeks. Look at his stats for the season. Okay, yeah, twenty five six five. Great, forty six percent shooting on a team on the fringe in the play in race. They're eight seed, nine seed, right in the play in race. De'Aaron you just Fox. gave the Lakers two All-Stars with the 13th seed. No, listen to this. De'Aaron Fox, two years ago, was I was talking about how great he was. Remember talking about his numbers at the rim, and he was averaging like 25-7-5 on a Kings team that was right around that 9-10 spot you know, for at the All-Star break. And he got no love for All-Star. Anthony Edwards gets by on this reputation – He's on a team with way more talent that's underachieving. His stats aren't that great. I don't understand this obsession with putting him on the all-star team. Minnesota sucks. Will you at least, will you at least acknowledge that his, his stats are pretty much comparable to Fox's stats? Yeah, and Fox is on the winning team. My whole point of bringing up Fox yeah, from a couple years ago was that when you're... The clawed their way to 500. Is that not going to get any credit? It, yeah, they're barely there, but they have so much talent. You, I mean, I know Towns hasn't been like he's been injured, but like you and have he's Gobert. Twenty-one games. You Towns have Gobert. Twenty-one. Games. You have a team that made the playoffs last year. This is a team that took a backward slide. Yeah, they made the playoffs until Tim Connolly took a sledgehammer to that whole roster for reasons that still remain unclear. Look, Anthony Edwards I, will make an All-Star team in his future. I just don't think this is the year to reward him. I don't think he's done anything that special. Um, his his numbers aren't par with last year, except he's shooting more. That's the only difference. You might be right. I want Ant there, um, but I'm willing to hear the Fox argument. And there's not really an argument that needs to be made. We've talked about Fox a lot. I, I think Fox he is, is putting together an All Star year. I think Fox's biggest argument, his numbers don't jump off the paper. It's the leader in clutch points, in clutch impact, fourth quarter scoring. He's up all those metrics and he's consistently been good. And that's important because this Kings offense as beautiful as it looks like any other offense bogs down in the fourth quarter, in the half court, and he bails it out consistently. And I think that's worth something like we, we reward DeRozan for that. We give credit to all these other players for doing that. He deserves credit for what he's doing with the Kings and, and doing that consistently game after game. So let me ask you this. We both took AD. He's only played 26 games out of the 48 that they've had. Or no, they've had more than 48. They've played 49 games. Okay, he's played 26 out of the 49 games. He had this three-week stretch where he looked like the best player in the world. But 26 games is 26 games. What put you? What made you put him on your team? It's. I looked at the snubs, right? I think he was still a level above the the rest of the snubs I had. Um, my first two snubs are Paul George. He's yep. been sneaky good this year. Uh, I just think the Weirdly Clippers have been... For how, yeah. He's been really good. The Clippers have just been a disaster. In the, not disaster. They're not bad. But it's just the way 
they've had an up and down season, the way they load manage. I just, I don't see what there is to reward Paul George. And then Aaron Gordon was the other one, you know, being the second. Can I say something about the Clippers for a second? Yeah. I agree with Paul George. Like I was looking at his numbers and I'm like, I feel like he shoots four of 17 every night and they lose. But his numbers are like they have the loudest losses in the league. I think that's what it is because when they lose, everyone gets so mad, including me and you, because they're resting all their guys. They're like flagrantly violating the sanctity of the game. (laughs) And then you look at it, and Kawhi has 36, and they're beating up on some other team, and they're 26 and 24. So I just wanted to put that in there. But yes, Paul George was my first off. I guess Fox was my first off, and then Paul George, and then Aaron Gordon. I thought. you know, he's a tertiary player, but he's averaging 17-7, 40% three-point shooting. Like, it's the best team in the Western Conference, and he has been such a critical part of their success, given that Jamal Murray is still not fully back to form, I feel like. So, yeah, uh, that was the other guy. But I thought AD is just in the minutes and games he did play in. He's been so good. And Zion's played 29. So it's like three games at that point. You're, you know. I put Aaron Gordon in the Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Teague, uh, Rajon Rondo camp of like your team is really good and therefore you got an all-star team, all-star bid for it. For me to give it to Gordon, the Nuggets would have had to be running away with the West, and they're not. Um, They kind of are. No, I mean, they're like a game or two ahead of Memphis. So here's the other question. Do you know Jaron Jackson love? Defensive player of the year likely as of now. Similar numbers, I would say, to Gordon. I just – I don't like Memphis. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think that he is the best argument over AD, especially when you talk about similar positions. He's playing for a winning team. He's had bigger impact. Or Desmond Bain even, right? Like, I guess Hack can't be a front uh, – can't be a guard. But no, yeah. that's a problem, right? You need a big – like, so that's why yeah. – I think – Jackson or Paul George, but then I'm like, 80 is just way better than those guys. So it's like, am I going to really penalize him? I guess, like, I don't know. I would never have voted for I'm inconsistent. 26 games is just so few, dude. It is. But see, the problem is I don't know how to judge the number anymore because everyone's playing fewer games. So it's, it is the lowest out of anyone on the list I have. Um, The other close ones are Zion at 29, Curry 33, Harden in 31. But yeah, 26 is really low. It's... Well, Booker was the other guy we didn't talk about because Booker was having his like a first team all NBA season by when he got hurt. Um, and where is he at games? I mean, the guards are just so much more packed. That's the problem. Really... He's at 29, but Booker yeah. is at a disadvantage because of the guard logjam. So do you have his numbers up? I just closed them. Let me see. Devin Booker. Because, I mean, he's, he's 27, he, yeah, he's a, five and I mean, six, he's, right. 48% field goal, 37% three-point. And they were awesome when he and, was playing. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. Oh, one thing I was going to mention about Sabonis, I always look at net rating on-off, and I kind of think of 10-plus as, like, the superstar holy grail. He's 10-plus. Like, Jokic's crazy seasons, he was at, like, close to 20. And, yeah, Sabonis is almost 11, plus 10. 11. 9, right? Oh. Yeah, on off rating, so that pretty much gives you right there the the, the value in a, in a, in a nutshell. But if you were just voting off the last week, last month, Kawhi would be close to lock. What do you think about him? 
He, I mean, he's been, he has been incredible. I'm actually surprised because there was a point in the season I was like, will he ever return to the player he was? I thought maybe he it was just like broken. It looked like it was hard for him to like run up and down the floor. Yeah, and twice. I thought, you know, he's had enough time to recover and all that. I thought maybe he was just broken as a player, but clearly he is. And that's what makes the Clippers even more frustrating, man. It's like Kawhi can still play like that. Paul George is still playing well. They've got all these players. They won't gun it though. They they always load manage. They just if they just put forward their best team every night, and these guys play up to the way they can. Like this team should be a first seed. But, it does kind of feel like they are starting to play more. Um, yeah, it's, still dude, it's like halfway through the season. It's like how, how long <laughs> yeah. does this ramp up got to be? <laughs> like the 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 bar is so low. I'm like they are on the court more <laughs> often than they used to be, which exactly. is a positive. They are at the stadium. Uh, on occasion um yeah i think they still have the whole point guard like the john wall experiment has just not worked um and reggie jackson is is still reggie jackson so i'm curious what they do because they have all these like mid-tier contracts and at some point they could package them but you know who do they go get is that a van bleat is that a mike conley you know i don't know what that player looks like so i'm curious because in some ways, you might not need a, a traditional point guard when you have Kawhi and PG handling the ball so much, but you do need somebody to set the offense at times and to be able to knock down shots. So that's the that's the story with the Clippers. Yep. Um, all right, so I went rogue, took Ant. You had Fox. Otherwise, we had 11 of 12 matches. My sense, if I had to guess here, is that your roster is going to be the all-star roster. At first, I didn't think Booker was going to overtake Fox, but he, sorry, Fox was going to overtake Booker, but Booker's just not come back. And I thought he was going to be playing by now. Um, Fox is probably fourth out of the four reserve guards, but I think he gets in. I just don't see a, a significant challenge from anyone except for maybe Paul George. Yeah. That's my biggest worry is Fox is definitely the 12th in terms of the actual vote will be the 12th out of 12. Yeah. Um, so he's hanging. And Davis is back, right? So he's going to get at least three games or so before the coaches have to make yep. their picks. Exactly. He's back, and so. But yeah, man. I, and, I mean, I think the, the West definitely not as hard as the East was, in my opinion. Um, after you go past Paul George, Aaron Gordon, and like it's just a lot of guys, but no one that I'd really argue should be on the list. Whereas in the East, I think there's legit four to five snubs. Not snubs, but players who you could argue belong. Yeah. The the the, the East says guys who have played all year and have played at an all-star level and won't make it. The West has a lot of like legacy guys or reputation guys who yep. if you you know, like even like a Jamal Murray who's never actually made the team, he's on the fringe, but if he doesn't make it, you're not like, holy shit, how did Jamal Murray not make the all star team? Yep, exactly. So shout, shout out to LeBron. Right. Shout out to LeBron, who's been on a tear, and he's been course, crazy. he was always going to be an All Star starter by fan vote. But the fact that he genuinely deserves it, I think it's uh, it's incredible, man. He's upped his his averages, his career averages this year. He's been not shooting it's well, but then again, he had nine threes uh, just against the Clippers. So. There's really no way to describe what he's doing beyond kind of just bewilderment 
I mean, we have passed a point of like comparisons. I yeah. know Bill Simmons keeps trying to pull him down by any means necessary. Inferno called to him out. Thank God. I love that. But to the point that he's using Kareem as a guy to, to who he hates, and he mentioned that. So I just think like, I mean, he's a little younger, right, in his year 20 season because he came out of high school. But there's a lot of guys who came out of high school, right? Like, yeah. I mean, none of them were doing what they're doing. He's doing Kobe Bryant at this stage of his career was a complete shell of himself. So yeah. it sucks in a way that it's happening on like a – pretty mediocre Lakers team that I don't seriously think even with a healthy AD can compete for a title. But if you truly get a healthy AD for four rounds and you have LeBron playing like this, there's still going to be a lot of nerves to count against them, right? If they make it to the, to the top eight. Absolutely. So, all right, that is a wrap for us. Please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We're going to be back next week. We'll see where the reserves shake. And until then, thanks for listening.